to The Basement Astrologer, coming to you live from the city of destiny, Tacoma, Washington, and from Minneapolis, Minnesota. With me is astrologer and instructor at the Mercury Internet School of Psychological Astrology, and one of my favorites, Sean Nygaard. Say hi to everyone, Sean. Hey, Kip. Hey, everybody. Hi, guys. I want uh, to let everyone know that Sean has been incredibly gracious. Um, we taped uh, a Mercury, sorry, a Saturn and Sagittarius episode right at the beginning of the lockdown, and Zoom lost it in one of their pushes. Um, and Sean was so nice to come back. Uh, I'm so happy about it. And uh, we're all fortunate because <laughs> maybe more so than Sean, because Sean lives. Uh, in the heart of Minneapolis. Uh, and so we're going to take some time to talk about uh, what it's like um, to live through, really, uh, when a city is, is kind of going through uh, a platonic uprising and um, and kind of find out about how astrology played a role in that for Sean. So Sean, uh, thank you for coming back. And, um, you know, since you're a returning guest, what I like to ask is how does astrology show up in your everyday life? Uh, and I kind of want to frame that up in, you know, what's it been like living through what's been going on there? Um, and how have you kind of used astrology to interpret it and consume it? Wow. That's a, a, a lot to cover. I feel like that's a, <laughs> that's a monologue for like the next half hour or something like that. But <laughs> I will say, you know, I'm not an astrologer who tends to keep track of the planets every day by the hour, you know, like, you know, by the minute or anything like that. Um, I love to follow the larger trends in particular and then, you know, look at things. But the way it shows up mostly in my life is um, because I have an astrological awareness of things. I know the archetypes of the planets when I'm watching TV or when I'm talking with people or just living my daily life, I listen for astrology. I mean, it's almost annoying, you know, because I can't, you know, it's like I can't turn it off. But if I'm, you know, just watching a TV show, it's not unusual for me to hit pause and look up birth dates or look up a chart or something because I'll hear something that clues me into an archetype and I need it either verified or contradicted, or I need to see what's going on. You know, what, why did I pick that up? And so that informs so much of my astrology through um, the way culture moves in accordance with the planets. I, I love find that, that because endlessly fascinating. <laughs> 100% I do the same thing. It's, it's like a mm -hmm. filter that I can't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and I do want to say, too, thank you for having me back. It's, it's I mean, just in general, but it's really interesting to do this re-recording to talk about Saturn and Aquarius because it's as if the fates had something else in store <laughs> after yeah. the first time. And here we are back after this, you know, the last 10 days in Minneapolis discussing a topic that is entirely relevant to what has been going on. So, and I think this is where we were headed. It's one thing to kind of have a philosophical and kind of um, a one-step-back understanding of what um, Saturn and Aquarius looks like, especially considering um, everything going on around us in the world. And, and we're going to get to some of the work you've done. You wrote that wonderful 
uh, article for the Mountain Astrologer, and, and some of the stuff um, you got to weave in last time. I was just so heartbroken that we lost, and I was so happy to have you back. Um, but it is a different thing <laughs> to have it um, just two blocks from your house. So mm -hmm. just talk about that a little bit. I, I really don't have a great way to ask that question. I'm sorry, I can't Barbara Walker. Oh, no, that, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and just to be clear, I'm not two blocks from the way it was happening. It was, it's like I'm, I'm not living two blocks from where it happened, but where it happened is a short walk for me and is often the terrain that I walk when I go out for a walk. So I wasn't in the action per se, but everything that ensued and everything that was happening was so close I could hear it. You know, it was I, like sleepless nights. <laughs> I 100% get it. That target was the target I went to and I lived in that neighborhood. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, okay, I wanna back up for a second and say, you know, because I wrote this article for the Mountain Astrologer about Saturn in Aquarius. It has been on my mind. You know, <laughs> once what you know when when I finally decide to write an article about something, it's because I am all in for that topic. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to teach a webinar; it's another thing for me to write an article because I'm investing so much in the process of that. And so I was very attuned to Saturn and Aquarius, um, the cycles over, you know, history in many, many, many ways. And once I've had that awareness, I look out for things. And so to, to have that lens, to have that perspective, while all of this started to happen was breathtaking to me because it... I wasn't anticipating anything remotely like this until next year when Saturn and Uranus will square each other. You know, I've been talking about, you know, 2020 via the bookends of the year, you know, the mm. Saturn Pluto conjunction in Capricorn in January, and then the Jupiter Saturn conjunction in Aquarius near the end of December. I see those as like the bookends of the year, and they both have Saturn in common. So this year, as Saturn is moving from Capricorn and transitioning into Aquarius, you know, I've been very curious to see what's going on. I've talked about it as the genie is out of the bottle, you know, and what the genie is, I don't want to like go into that right now. It's just a, a phrase I want to use because it has the spirit of the moment in it, I think. Um, it could be many things, but it's out of the bottle. And, you know, when Saturn goes retrograde in Capricorn at the beginning of July, it's like we might see the people trying to put the top of the bottle back on, you know, and control things again. But as Saturn heads towards Aquarius again, and as we head towards the end of the year with this Aquarius conjunction, and then into next year with Saturn squaring Uranus, it's like, who knows what we will see, you know, now, considering how this started as Saturn has been in the early degrees, you know, very earliest degrees of Aquarius. So like to, to be able, you know, we'll go into this, but like to talk about why Saturn and Aquarius is so relevant here is, um, it, it gets me excited and hearing everything happening um, was terrifying. Um, and things did take a turn, you know, I mean, they turned destructive, but 
Friday night last week, it was as if what had been going on started to get taken over by other shadier things, you know, and people have watched the news, you know, um, I'm not sure how specific to get um, right now, but um, things turned different on Friday night and got even scarier. And that was when the National Guard came out, helicopters are flying, you know, and, you know, when, when there was a calm day, I said, you know, actually like towards the end of the weekend when it seemed like things were, calm. And then I think Monday night was another kind of very, very active night. Somebody who lives out in one of the suburbs said to me, you know, oh, they were surprised to hear me say that it was still happening and that I didn't sleep very well again, you know, sleep much at all. You know, they thought things had calmed down. And I said, well, you know, sometimes it's the difference between a regular helicopter circling throughout the night <laughs> and, a, and a Black Hawk, you know, directly above. <laughs> Because that was what was going on. The reality of it was, you know, our governor had to, you know, call in the National Guard for better or for worse. And, you know, something got out of control very, very quickly after things had escalated out of control already. So it was really unprecedented. And then, of course, it took, you know, the, it got hold in the nation and then the world. So, you know, I saw one person's tweet saying, you know, describing, you know, all 50 states, and I think it was 18 countries protesting, making this the biggest civil rights protest in world history. I don't know if that's true, but I would be surprised if it wasn't. <laughs> I, um, you know, one of the things that's been interesting to me, and it might be because we have an easier way to share this type of information, is how many small towns across the entire country had protests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how much coverage that got in sort of, um, you know, big media world, but mm -hmm. it was really unbelievable. Um, yeah. yeah. Should, I mean, should we go into Saturn and Aquarius here? Because it'll start to bring in the symbolism of this and it'll start to bring in the imagery of, and it'll help make sense. Why, why are small towns doing this? Why, why is there so much participation here? Sean, if you want to talk about Saturn and Aquarius, <laughs> I am on board. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I mean, because <laughs> you, you can read the article, but it's so fun to talk about. Yeah. And um, because, you know, the way that I look at this is I look at the axis of Leo and Aquarius, right? Because Leo is ruled by the sun and Aquarius is ruled by Saturn in traditional. And I use the traditional rulerships, even though I'm a modern astrologer. Um, here, here. So I don't look to Uranus right now. Um, you know, and, I, and the symbolism of these for, you know, centuries was founded on Sun and Saturn. So that's where I like to look. But, you know, the Sun is the center of things. You know, Leo plays that role of coming from the heart center. Or you get the jokes about Leo wanting to be the, the center of attention. You know, um, it's the sign of royalty, the king and the queen or the sovereign. And, you know, those are the archetypes around which things operate, you know, if you're looking at that kind of a system. And so what happens is Leo ruled by the sun is the center. And when we go towards Aquarius and particularly when Saturn is in Aquarius, because we're moving away from the center further and further away. 
and Saturn is the furthest planet in the traditional system, we end up at the outskirts of society. We are no longer in the center, and we're at the margins, we're in the periphery, we're at the outer limits, we're at the fringe, you know, all of these kinds of words come into play. And so you can start to understand why Aquarius has this reputation of um, an interest in civil rights and justice. And instead of the rulership, you know, the king and the queen, we can talk about everyday citizens or people living in the spaces that are not at the center. And even more so, you know, the center has its own perspective. You look around and you can look around at 360 degrees of things, but the view from the margins looking at the center is what we're seeing now, you know? And it goes back to the imagery of light because the sun is shining the light. And the furthest we go out, you know, and Saturn is a planet known for darkness, uh, being distant from the sun, we get into the marginalized communities that are not part. The, the, it's as if the light doesn't reach there. People aren't looking there. People aren't seeing what's going on there. And what we've witnessed in the last 10 days is how the center has shifted because what's so important to consider when Saturn's moving through Aquarius, and this is a question I have up on a post-it on my wall in front of me, because I always want to be thinking about this these days, even though I know the answer to a large extent, I always want to remember who defines the center. Because you know, to ask that question, who defines the center, helps us recognize then who is looked at as marginal and treated differently. And when Saturn is coming through, you know, we can talk about oppression. We can talk about exclusion. You know, I started the article for the Mountain Astrologer because I was really, I didn't know how to start it. I was like, what's the way in here to get into what I want to talk about? And I chose something completely innocuous, you know, completely, you know, odd maybe, but it was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because that, that, that Christmas animated special <laughs> came out when Saturn was at 29 degrees Aquarius. And what happens is Rudolph is treated differently because his nose glows, right? And, you know, it's this charming special that actually has these huge underlying themes that are so important and kind of horrifying when you think that this is like a children's special, <laughs> you know, is that Rudolph is like has to run from his family and his community because he is being excluded and he's being oppressed because he's different. And he wanders away from everything central in his life and he meets up with Hermie who is the elf who wants to be a dentist. So he's treated poorly because he's different. And this is our culture. This is our society that has a very long history of treating people poorly and oppressing people um, because they are different. And that's what the article focuses on. Um, I call it the difference between us. And I wrestled with that as well because it's kind of, it feels to me not very cool 
to talk about <laughs> difference <laughs> because we're, you know, we're talking, it, it's, it's cooler to talk about community and connectedness. But I think as we're seeing now, to notice the differences in things, to notice how we respond to difference is really important. And Rudolph and Hermie wander off and saying, you know, we're a couple of misfits. And that's one of the key archetypes for Aquarius is the misfit, the, 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 the eccentric, you know, because it's not at the center. And to talk about this psychologically, you know, because that's really what I'm doing. I mean, it's strange because it's mundane. We can actually see this literally playing out in the world right now. But it's also psychological because, you, like, I live in the city, you know, during the coronavirus, you know, issues going on now, you know, one of those things for me is I have to walk in to get prescriptions into town and I literally go right to city center, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. to pick up my prescriptions. And that's where the most people are. So I've had to learn to make an approach from behind, from the other side, from, you know, so that I'm avoiding people, you know, just in terms of social distancing. Um, but it's like very alive, this notion of the heart centered, the center of things around which everything, uh, the lifeblood comes out from. And because I live in downtown Minneapolis, we have the Skyway system, you know, that works like, you know, so we can actually, you know, in the winter when it's 20 below, <laughs> we can actually, you know, get around from building to building. But it works like arteries, you know, you know, heading to the heart, to city center, and then going outward. And I have another example a little later to talk about that. But this imagery of the center and the eccentric, the center and the outer edges, the fringes and the, the marginalized people, you know, is really coming. I mean, I, I expected it to come into play over the next two to three years when Saturn's moving through Aquarius to see it have such potency so early and be global it's 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 astonishing to me and I, incredible <laughs> i love so much about what you said and i just want to reflect on a couple things mm -hmm. i love this idea of this external because i um think a lot about and so am i i'm very mercurial mercury rules my chart and is extremely strong in its placement and one of the places I notice and feel comfortable are those fringes, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like the mercurial zones where um, new immigrants live, and there's mm -hmm. oftentimes marketplaces that are set aside. Um, mm -hmm. You know, your mercados, your little um, shops. My my parents have a shop in a um, like a flea market, in Arizona type space. That's what I'm talking about, those mercurial zones of trade and commerce where some of the rules just don't apply because things are so fluent. Mm -hmm. fluid. Um, but what we're talking about with Aquarius and Saturnian is kind of outside those boundaries, those places where people have a little more isolation. And one of the things you said that struck me was people don't get there, but another way to put it is <clears throat> resources don't get there. And at some yes. point yep. when those folks need those resources, when they're, they have to choose to gather up and do it themselves and do that Saturn work, like mm -hmm. put in the effort to get it. You can even think of the notion of the water bear, right? Getting yeah, oh, water absolutely. from one place to another, that hard work. Yep. Um, I also, um, my thing with Aquarius is novels. 
I just see novels as this <laughs> Aquarian item. Um, you, you have oh, yeah. people viewing a society and they're taking these ideas, you know, that airy intellectual substance, yep. and they're putting it down in a place where it's portable and structured and standardized. And you have that Saturn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes the best novels, maybe always, are those outsiders. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, those are the folks, their perspective is what makes their novel worth reading. Because yeah. they're looking at things from the outside, like the, just exactly as you were saying, they are not yeah. part of the heart. They're part of the outside looking in at the center. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I want to say more about that. I want to back up for a second too. Yeah. I, I forgot to finish my thought, which was, oh. you know, because I live in the city center, you know, I feel different. You know, just because of my life and because oh. of who I am, I feel different. So it's not, not just a literal thing. You know, it's, it's wherever you are, you know, you can feel this, you can feel the center of things. Um, you know, I go back to Toni Morrison, speaking of novels, you know, ah. because there was an interview with her um, where the interviewer really, you know, asks her a question about, is she ever going to write about white people? <laughs> and <laughs> Toni Morrison's response in her eloquent, elegant, sharp as steel way was that she said, you have no idea how racist that question is. You can't understand, can you, how racist that question is. And what Toni Morrison then says is it's like a Russian writer writing in Russian for Russian people is never asked, when are you going to write about French people? You know, so the assumption that Toni Morrison would have to write about white people for white people was the racism back in the end of the 80s when this question came up. But what Toni Morrison later says to this person, you know, the interviewer, when the interviewer like really praises her, um, Toni Morrison says, you know, I stood at the center. I stood at the center, I stood at the edge or no, sorry. Yeah, that's it. I stood at the edge. I stood at the border and claimed it as central and let the rest of the world move to where I was. Yes, yes. Now that, that is right. Is, that is like to understand the true power of Toni Morrison. And this throws light on the sun in detriment in Aquarius. You know what the, that means? Because <laughs> Toni Morrison is such a powerhouse, you know. But it's, but it's that perspective of the novelist that you're talking about is very much this kind of thing where, you know, instead of one central person looking out 360 degrees in all directions and, you know, really only owls do that, you know. <laughs> As humans, we can't necessarily take all of that in because it's so much but to be on the outside to be in the periphery you know to be at that space and write from what you experience is one thing but also the outer the outskirts have a view of the center that the center does not necessarily itself see which is what we're seeing right now as you know the Things that all, you know, every, you know, all of the black communities in Minneapolis have known this for decades, the way the police are. It has a very long history here, but the center never really had to look at itself. And now 
pressure is put on the center to look at itself. And with the world watching, I believe there, you know, there, there has to be accountability and our governor is making those moves. But, you know, just to go back to the topic, you know, it's those perspectives from the outside that become so important when Saturn moves through Aquarius. And as the publishing industry has, you know, thrived over the last, you know, many years, I think partly started when Pluto moved through Sagittarius, you know, and Oprah did her book club and all of that, you know, it's like what we get is more and more and more voices from all over the place chiming in and contributing a perspective, which is what I heard you were talking about. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. And I love this idea of those outside um, voices becoming the center. Yes. Um, because that's one of the things I think we're seeing from this already, that the notion of fundamentally reviewing what that police structure, that Saturn is, looking at it from outside and recreating it, is, is happening in a way that I didn't realize could be possible in my lifetime. Right. Um, uh, elected officials in mass are talking about breaking down policing functions and restructuring them. Mm-hmm. In lucid and practical terms Mm -hmm. and that is such an Aquarian idea and the idea that we're about to have Jupiter you know the planet that that sets off and does things (laughs) um, (laughs) sometimes too much of things connecting (laughs) with Saturn in Aquarius right at the time right after the election season when those types of ideals are going to be put in place in a lot mm-hmm. of places where the populace is going to get to say, yes, this is the path we definitely want to go. This is our voice. Mm-hmm. is incredibly heartening to me. And furthermore, when we talk about um, the outside looking in, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in D.C. for the next four years. Um, right, I, I, right. I don't want to talk about where the election is going to go or not. Yeah. But I'm yeah. heartened that either way, we have a structure being constructed that's larger, more diverse, and more, um, they have more ammunition and more focus and more attainable goals than mm-hmm. we've, we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw images in Ferguson that, um, that, right. that built kindling, but mm-hmm. the images and the impacts of so many citizens now, um, for all 50 states, and, and just such large swaths, it's something that won't be able to be taken away. It's right. Like and that's a school shooting where we saw it afterward. Like we're seeing this in real time in every state. Yes. And th- that's what is so incredible because, you know, and even the world, you know, I have a, a dear, dear friend of mine is in Sweden and, you know, has told me what it looks like, you know, in Sweden for her, you know, and, you know, just to have the response from not just the rest of the country, even, you know, as harrowing mm-hmm. as it has been expressed and experienced, it, there is this piece that is, I mean, I felt it in Minneapolis, you know, like as this was starting to heighten, I was like, you know what, I think I need to go to the grocery store right now because, you know, downtown Minneapolis has been boarded up, you know, because of the the protests down in downtown Minneapolis as well. Um, And so things have been boarded up, things have been closed and, you know, I've needed to live, you know, and I don't have a car, I, you know, I've chosen to live without a car. So it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm 
yeah, I have to walk to these places to get, you know, what I need. So, um, oh gosh, what was my point? I got, I got distracted, but, um, it's okay. You have so much Saturday. Oh no, it was when I was, it was when I was walking to the grocery store that I was like, I felt that I felt the word transformation. You know, this is one of those words in astrology that we make so much fun of because it's used all the time. I felt that. I felt it in the air. And what was really interesting because of the heightened sense of nature since people have been in quarantine and not out and about, you know, I'm very aware of birds, you know, and I hear this from a lot of people, but I've loved the sounds of birds chirping outside of my window all day. And the day, you know, that day before things really started to like explode, the, the pretty birds chirping turned into crows cawing all day. And I was like, wow. something is going on here. And so it was that tangible and the feeling now and i haven't visited the george floyd memorial you know the mural that's up there um but i feel like things have calmed down here you know and now the real work begins but it's as if that memorial is like i've been calling it a center of gravity a center of gravitas for this whole experience and everything that's going. And so it is acting like a center around which things can hold, because the importance of a center is that it can hold things. You know, the, the forces of gravity around the sun and the planets turning, it's like, you know, they're held together around the orbit of the sun. So it's as if, you know, that Yates line about, um, as things fall apart, the center cannot hold. That is what we've watched, you know, weakened by years of government, perhaps, you know, you can talk about it. I don't want to go down that lane, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the, and the coronavirus and the country is desperate. The center has un been unable to hold, which is one of the reasons Saturn moving into Aquarius, it hasn't even gotten to the second degree yet. And it's retrograde heading back to Capricorn. And this is what we've seen which is so powerful. When you said Jupiter in Aquarius, I thought of, um, even though Jupiter isn't in Aquarius yet, I th I'm sure you've seen that image uh, in Washington, D.C. of the, in yellow letters, big yellow letters, oh, man, the street, yeah. Black Lives Matter, you know, out, you know, so th that's the aerial view, Jupiter from above looking down, <laughs> you know, the White House over here. And, away from the White House, it says Black Lives Matter. So it's like, you cannot ignore this anymore. And it's, it's just astonishing, you know, Prince, the, one of my favorite tweets was, you know, the one that said, you know, the only person who thought the revolution would begin in Minneapolis was Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't Which, see you know, to be born in Minneapolis and to live here all my life, it's like to, to see this happen in Minneapolis is, you know, I, it, it's going to take a long time for this to sink in, but I do want to make, can I make another, I want to make another reference to a cultural reference Please. for people to, you know, to see how this works, you know, because I think it's very clear, but it's all over the place now. And, you know, once 
you know, I, I started watching in my life, you know, when things went global. And it was like the Da Vinci Code became a global phenomenon really quickly. Harry Potter became a global phenomenon. And Twilight, you know, that vampire series became a global phenomenon. But the one that I, I've, I find super interesting is the Hunger Games. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, on my list of people with Saturn and Aquarius initially, because I was, I was originally thinking of Aquarius kind of differently from this. Um, you know, Suzanne Collins, the author of The Hunger Games. And so I was like, what is she with Saturn and Aquarius? You know, how does that fit? But then through this process of writing and through this process of realization of things in a, in a much different way than I had ever learned, um, it, I realized that The Hunger Games is exactly what I've been talking about because it is set in this place called Pan Am, and it's organized via a capital, which acts like the center of everything. And the districts, one through 12, go out further and further away from the capital, from the center. And the whole Hunger Games series focuses on District 12, the outermost district. Mm. And what we see in there, you know, and like you were saying, you know, there's resources there and people figure out how to live away from the center, but it's not like it's ever without the center exclusive, you know, it's not exclusive usually. And so there is this relationship between the center and the outskirts. And I even typed this up, you know, because early on with the pandemic, I watched the Hunger Games again. You know, I watched all of them through because I thought, you know, this feels very relevant, not just because the news is reporting murder hornets and we have tracker jackers <laughs> in the Hunger Games, but it's that the that more serious level of, you know, the way, you know, Game of Thrones has said for a long time that winter is coming, you know, and this has, you know, been with us as we've approached Saturn, Pluto, and now Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter in Capricorn, the sign of winter, you know, so it's like come January, winter was here. Winter has arrived. And in the Hunger Games, the president of Pan Am is President Snow. You know, wow. and he is a tyrant. He's a dictator. He's everything that may be very familiar to us in the United States right now. <laughs> but he actually says, you know, when, when riots start, it, you know, because that's what happens in the Hunger Games is this order that has been in place and held by the center, it starts to weaken and riots start to come out, you know, because things didn't go as planned. You know, and what President Snow announces to all of the districts on the loudspeaker, and I typed this up because it's so fascinating. He says, each district supplies the capital, like blood to a heart. In return, the capital provides order and security. You know, think Saturn. Mm. To refuse work is to put the entire system in danger. The capital is the beating heart of Pan Am. Nothing can survive without a heart. And this, this is a series that has captured so many people all over the world, especially the younger people. You know, there's Pluto and Scorpio generation. I 
sometimes in a fun way referred to as the Hunger Games crew. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> it's also very serious, you know, that they're they're growing up with images and or they've grown up, I should say, with images that I didn't grow up with. You know, thing, uh, you know, a sense of things that I didn't grow up with, but now I see even more significantly why something like the Hunger Games isn't just pop culture. It's reflecting something in an almost prophetic way. But Suzanne Collins, like I said, has Saturn in Aquarius. This is in her psyche. And she is a son in Leo. So she's particularly attuned to this relationship between the outskirts and the center. And I don't know if she knows astrology. I don't know what research she did to create the Hunger Games and set it up this way. But I just find it astonishing how accurately that series portrays the dynamic of Saturn and Aquarius with the, the you know, in its relationship with the center. I mean, the symbolism is multivalent. Um, yeah, patterns absolutely. that work in one place work in another. That's how the system works. And mm-hmm. so she, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it almost is more affirming of astrology if she had no idea. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because, and, and that's what, you know, I don't want to get after, into a digression here that mm-hmm. weakens, you know, everything we're talking about. But, you know, Carl Jung was born with Saturn in Aquarius, and he was a Leo as well. And the fact that he produced a psychology from all kinds of things in the fringes, but then talked about this collective unconscious. You know, there's a way that you can imagine in traditional astrology, you know, which I like to figure out how to imagine psychologically, you know, since I'm not a traditional astrologer per se. I find it incredibly psychological though. It's as if once you get to Saturn, what's out there past Saturn is what we would call the collective unconscious. You know, this this plate, you know, who know who knows? Mm. It's a mystery, you know, and I'm thinking back then, you know, but Carl Jung in modern times, you know, touched on that place. You know, he explored so much and his whole psychology is based on differentiation as a means of consciousness, becoming more and more aware of what's different, you know, including yourself, you know, to including, you know, that place in you that feels different than everybody else, you know, to integrate that into who you are. You know, that place that might be a little bit eccentric in you, that characteristics that may be a little weird or something like that, that don't seem like they fit. Those are the key with Saturn and Aquarius. Those, you know, whatever it is in you, that becomes super important, like Rudolph's red nose. You know, I mean, that's why that just innocuous little story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, it's how I can talk about that and the Hunger Games in the same (laughs) conversation with all seriousness and then flip into the fact that in the 30s the 1930s um you know when saturn was in early aquarius you know hitler became a german citizen and very quickly you know within the time of saturn and aquarius became the fuhrer of germany and we see how he treated 
people who were different. You know, the, the entire idea of the concentration camp, you know, with the Holocaust and the extermination of Jews fits into this notion that I'm talking about with, you know, what made Hitler able to take power then was this weakening of the center as things have moved, you know, and I could even expand this to talk about how, you know, and I have a slide of this that I'm using in a presentation coming up um, of Pluto and Leo, Neptune and Leo, you know, Uranus and Leo, Saturn in Leo time, you know, in the early 1900s, you know, that brought us the celebrity and the age, you know, the golden age of Hollywood and all this. And then there was a space and, you know, a space before, um, I forget which, if it was Neptune or Uranus that moved, I think it was probably Uranus that moved into Aquarius first. And then Neptune moves into Aquarius. And Saturn moves into Aquarius now, Jupiter into Aquarius, and we're not that far from Pluto moving into Aquarius. So we've moved from a time where the center was very strong, and most of us grew up in a time with that notion of what a center was. And we've been moving, you know, I've seen it in my lifetime, and I've had to reorient, you know, to an Aquarius time where what happens is, you know, that was when reality TV started to come in. And I like to talk about it as the difference between the Leo, um, I'm the greatest star, to Aquarius, everybody is a star. This is especially fascinating when you think of the boomers, the Pluto and Leo generation kind of clinging to power. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't hold, you know, and we know we can feel it in the government right now. The extraordinary, um, how do I say this? I'm going to choose my words. The extraordinary extremes and lengths that the president has to go to even pretend that he has any control, <laughs> that he is, that he is anything of a leader. You know, it's, and it's that old notion of Leo that has been defused. You know, we're at a time when, you know, in, you know, early on with the coronavirus, I ended up watching this, the, birthday tribute to Stephen Sondheim that was, you know, amazingly organized via Zoom. That is and so on brand. You, you see Meryl Streep and Christine Baranski and Audra McDonald singing The Ladies Who Lunch in their bathrobe, drinking, <laughs> and th in their homes. You know, it's like the big screen has been replaced by the small screen. And the celebrity has been increasingly replaced by everyday people. And I don't think we're there yet, you know, because there, it's the power dynamics. And when you brought up resources earlier, it brings in the whole fixed modality because Taurus and Scorpio have so much to do with the resources you know, the materials, you know, that become resources and Scorpio, the sharedness of this, you know, the um, bringing that in. So it's this whole fixed axis that we're looking at right now in its dynamics and how it works. And, you know, just that move from 
what is so familiar to so many older people of Leo as the star, as the greatest star, is, is being overtaken now. You know, um, George Floyd changed the world. And it, did you know who he was two weeks ago? That's you know? a perfect analogy. It's really interesting to see when you're thinking about those notions of Leo as opposed to Aquarius and Saturn as opposed to the sun and the center as opposed to the outside. Mm -hmm. um, when you see Leo doing Saturnian things to try to keep from breaking down, yeah, you see those <laughs> barriers rising up and mm -hmm. like the troops that just flooded the Saturnian troops without no flags, no name tags, no numbers. I mean, mm -hmm. just raw Saturn. Yeah. Um, just pumped in front of everything mm -hmm. um, in what is the heart in DC in front of the monuments in front of the white house. <clears throat> yeah. The literal walls put up in front of the white house. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's so funny because I mean, Trump stood there and said law and order. He tweeted in all caps law and order and how, you know, we all see how useless that you know that that is right now <laughs> and so something moves something moves the power moves into the hands of everyday citizens and to bring another cycle into this you know this is the 1960s when you know under saturn and aquarius that was the martin luther king march on washington where he gave his i have a dream speech and he you know people came from all over the country you know, during that time, this is the imagery of Saturn and Aquarius, everybody moving from the outskirts, from the outer edges towards the center, you know, to demand justice. For, you know, it's like Libra has its sense of justice and fairness and equality. And what happens with Aquarius is it's as if it's no longer just the balancing or equality of the two. It becomes the balance, you know, the, the analogy that I use for this is, you know, because I have a background in music production, mm -hmm. I use the notion of a production board where you've got all of these different instruments playing, you know, uh, you know, and you've recorded synthesizers and guitars and piano and vocals and background vocals and all kinds of other things. And to create something that anybody can listen to, you have to create balance among all of these many parts. And I feel like that has so much to do with Saturn exalted in Libra and Saturn ruling Aquarius is to find some order in there, to find something that ends up being called justice to give, to, to take the fairness that we've established in Libra and recognize the, how do I say it? Um, the fate of what is unfair that Scorpio often feels very strongly, you know, a word for that might be betrayal, you know, because the fairness doesn't reach everybody, you know, once a decision is made, you know, somebody is excluded. <laughs> and I feel like right now, you know, we come to Saturn and Aquarius, it's going to be squaring Saturn's time in Scorpio. And I can't remember, I think that was the Ferguson time. I, I don't want to 
say that for sure right now because I don't remember if that was Saturn in Scorpio or Sagittarius. But it's as if when Saturn moves into Aquarius, then the idea of justice has to become more potent for more people. You know, and, you know, that's what Martin Luther King fought and died for, you know, was a notion of bringing that. And so to see what is happening now, again, you know, with Saturn not even hitting two degrees is really, it's been harrowing. And it's also, it shows an incredible promise for the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius in December, you know, to kick in. Um, Other astrologers have talked about that much more eloquently than I can or I'm going to right now, but, you know, the end of a 200-year cycle. But if you want, you know, to really kind of get the grasp of what we're we're looking at right now, because, and I've been feeling this for years, um, but with that bookend, you know, like I was talking about Saturn, Pluto, and Capricorn, and Jupiter, Saturn, and Aquarius, it's, you know, the last, you know, the last time Saturn, Pluto was in Capricorn together, conjunct was 1518. And in my research, I just came across this like little kind of tidbit that I don't know that it can be proven, but it just generally seems to be the case that that was the start of the transatlantic slave trade. There's other dates that come into this right now, um, which are more potent, I think, you know, but I've stuck with that notion and brought it up in astrology of that that notion of the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade. And that has come to call quite profoundly now in the streets. And to look at that Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, Saturn was in Aquarius. And, you know, I know there's more dynamics going on all the time. It's not just one planet. I like to super focus on one planet because it starts to show me other dynamics and how they're operating. But Saturn was in Aquarius for the entire year, 1492. So the moment a European male set foot for the first time in the Americas, Saturn was in Aquarius. And I have for years thought about that moment as the meeting of archetypal differences. And it's those two things, 1492 and 1518, to me, that define the moment we're living in terms of immediately right now, but also the year and also next year, you know, this whole kind of time period is the shifting of an entire culture that has been founded on first genocide and then slavery. And so the, the, the very idea. And, and actually that, that, that genocide sh- was precluded by uh, the devastating effects of illness and disease. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel, I honestly feel, you know, and I feel maybe this is why we're, we're doing this now instead of the one, the original one we did. (laughs) I honestly feel now that what we're witnessing, and I'll just throw in that little notion of the Pluto return of the United States, you know, (laughs) is, I feel like we're, I feel like we're seeing 
and feeling and witnessing these thick threads of, of American history coming to call. And, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time with is the three fates, you know, the ones who spin, weave and cut the threads of life, you know, and weave it into the tapestry of life and death. <laughs> and what I find, I just, it just, it's so tangible to me right now that it's these, I'm like, you go girls, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I, there's something so extraordinary going on. And what, what's significant with the Pluto return I've learned in this last 10 days is it's fated in the sense that's what, what's, because Pluto is 248 years in its, in its orbit, we are having to deal with the consequences of choices that none of us alive made. And in that sense, it's fated, the situation we're in. But what comes to call in this moment of a Pluto return, which, you know, we don't have lived experience of people talking about, you know, but um, is free will. It says, what are you going to do now? And I just imagine the three fates, you know, weaving right now and the choices we make right now and the things that we do as individuals, particularly with Saturn and Aquarius, are all important, you know, as we move through, toward and through this time of the Pluto return, it's as if history is just like coming up from the underworld and it just happened to be right now that the Hellmouth was Minneapolis. <laughs> that, uh, that was wonderfully said. A couple yeah. thoughts. One, um, you use the word betrayal and I actually had, hmm. uh, Sol, uh, Jonsson, um, on the oh, show yeah. and mm -hmm. Sol, and you've met Sol, is yes. this bright, shiny astrologer, um, who has this really forward facing kind of optimistic view. And I was like, Soul, what do you want to talk about? She said, betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah, so she fits in also with that, uh, <laughs> that, that Leo, Soul, uh, Aquarius, mm -hmm. uh, and you use the term um, betrayal. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, mm -hmm. And you're, you're bringing up the, the Libra to Aquarius connection. And <clears throat> there were a couple of astrologers I wish I could be more um, providing of, of their personal information talking about how this time, this uh, Jupiter-Saturn conjunction really directly connects back to the early 1980s when we had a long period of, of Saturn and Jupiter because of Jupiter's um, retrograde yes. cycle yep. and joining in early um, Libra. So that there's really, there's a, there's a trine, a natural oh, yeah. trine wow. between the two. That's amazing. And, and if you think about what the early 80s is known for, and there's a number of things, but, but uh, <laughs> for folks who uh, pay attention to structural shifts, that was the militarization of police. That was the drug war. Mm. That was when um, cops um, mm -hmm. really started focusing on, um, you know, uh, I don't know of a great way to put it, but building up the prison industrial complex to change really the basic structures of society. Sure. And those are the things that that are front and center on the streets right now. Yes. Um, and again, yep. when we have that conjunction in December, we're going to see a group of leaders, many of whom were born around that, um, mm -hmm. taking mm -hmm. on those exact subjects. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope 
Yeah, they're not all white. <laughs> I can't imagine they will be, but yeah, um, uh, yeah I don't but, think we're yeah. at a point where that won't be mostly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's astonishing. I mean, for, for a very long time, I've wondered, you know, I've heard different things about what represents the police in in astrology and I kind of settled on Libra and Saturn and Libra because there is, you know, the notion that, you know, somehow order is kept, <laughs> but it's also just that I think the etymology of police is the same as polite, you know, Libra politeness, you know, but it's also mm -hmm. the polis, the city. And so the notion of police, you know, bringing order into the city, you know, is an ideal, you know, and it's, you know, it just has turned out to be very complicated with oppression and dynamics that I haven't studied enough to, you know, to I, speak on. I know? love that because if you also think about Libra as a place where Mars doesn't function well, and my uh, yes, image yes. for Mars and Libra has always been the soldier in an antique shop. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they, they can, <laughs> the, the sword does them no good. Um, mm -hmm. Any bulky armor they have on is going to knock things over. Mm -hmm. they, they can learn to do it, but it's not the place where, that they're best equipped for. Right. Look at what we've done with policing. Yes. There is no more community policing. They are um, a blunt tool to solve problems. They, are, they, are, they bring a hammer to every situation. I apologize to folks. Uh, if, you, if you disagree with this statement, I'm happy to discuss it with you. But we've seen it in some of the imagery, and I've been... I've been beating this drum injury. for a long yeah. time. But just think of the image of the old gentleman, the 75-year-old longtime peace activist, going and trying to parlay with the cops. Not only do they shove him over, an old yeah. man, yeah. shove him over, he hits the ground, immediately starts to bleed, is obviously in peril for his life, but they just march past. Mm -hmm. that's, that's Mars in Libra. It, the yeah. tools aren't there. Um, to 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 fix that problem, the, yeah. the negotiation, the balance is done through force, because um, there just aren't you know you can, when you have the big armored gloves on, you're not going to be doing delicate work, and that's what we're seeing it's becoming <laughs> yeah. reality. And that's you know it's so that's so well said, and it's so amazing that you bring that up now because it's like a perfect seg into the fact that Mars is going to move into. Aries yeah. at the end of the month and it's going to stay there for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, do you want Mars to be retrograde in Libra right now? Or do you want Mars to be retrograde in, you know, in Aries? And, you know, it's a complicated time. It's, you know, it's combustible, you know, in so many ways, but those, the, the, the difficulty you were just describing in Libra is so, not the case when Mars is in Aries. And one of the things that, you know, because, you know, in, in our original recording of this that was scrapped, we looked at different charts of people, you know, I didn't know at the time who you were showing, but, you know, the first one you showed, I thought was our, it looked a lot like the chart of the governor of Minnesota. I have it ready for you, you know? <laughs> I know, I, so I can pull it up if you want. And, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at the, the transits for him. I just know for a fact that, um, I mean, he shares my birthday, um, different year. And um, 
So Mars in Aries plays a big role for him in the coming period. But to have Mars in Aries and to have this governor, you know, and I've been going back and forth with this because I'm just playing with ideas at this point, you know, wondering if I want to just write a little something about Mars in Aries. But, you know, there's the notion, you know, in Greek that this is the god of war. Mm-hmm. And then there's the notion in Rome that the god of war also has a more noble side. And I think of this as the Mars that takes right action and is going to do the right thing, fight for the right thing. And, you know, the, the governor of Minneapolis is going, is getting a lot of criticism, or the governor, I'm sorry, the governor of Minnesota has gotten a lot of criticism as he should be because the heat is on these issues right now that have never been addressed in in Minneapolis or Minnesota. And what I've watched him though, and I am so supportive of him because if it's going to be a white guy in charge at this time, you know, and it's going to stay a white guy in charge for this time for however long, um, he's kind of amazing to watch because it appears that he's teachable. He, he knows he can't, he knows he needs to change the system. He knows he is the one to be able to set this in motion and he is teachable. He's learning from the community. He's listening to the voices of people of color in the cities to black people. He's listening and he's making the moves that he can and it's never going to be fast enough for any of us you know because it's government it's saturnian you know it moves at a different pace but i just feel like there's something about this mars and aries for everything that could be difficult about it coming up i want to bring in that notion that it's also mars in its rulership and it has this notion behind it of of right action you know, I love that. Um, and I hope that's what we're seeing. And I think one thing that these protests have fleshed out for us is that, um, and it, it's still worrisome to have Mars in an extremely rare situation in Aries, um, Eric Cardinal, hot, <laughs> ain't got no chill Aries <laughs> during what was always going to be an incredibly tumultuous election season. Right, right. But suddenly, um, I'm going to just use the term our team because that's uh, the the language Carolyn Casey uses. And as much as I can appropriate from Carolyn Casey, (laughs) I will choose to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Our team seems to have its warriors, right? Mm -hmm. Like there seem, and and we weren't going to get that from leadership at the top. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been decided. But when you think of the imagery of Saturn and Aquarius, this isn't a time for top-down leadership. Um, so mm-hmm. it's almost um, fated that, that these are the voices. And, and I'll be honest with you, I know that some voices eventually um, emerge from that Ferguson era, uh, such as Delray. Um, and I'm not going to fumble forward any further. I know that a mm-hmm. few did. But we, as far as I know, none, no individual leader, no, no Leo center has mm-hmm. emerged from this, um, this uprising. Right. And that what's fascinating too, like, is, I don't know if people watched the feed from Unicorn Riot. 
um, yeah. who are on the scene, you know, they describe themselves as decentralized, Ooh. you know, in the, in the description of who they are. And so to get that perspective on the ground, moving through this, it's still one perspective or whichever different reporters they have, you know, different perspectives from each of them, but it's decentralized and they were able to bring a perspective to things that the news doesn't because the news is that more centralized piece that, you know, quite hasn't known what to do right now, <laughs> you know, but Unicorn Riot is a great example of the, that, you know, decentralized piece and the role that it plays during the, you know, during those times. And, you know, in the Aquarian kind of time overall that I was describing earlier that we're in and will remain in for a very long time, you know, this is the kind of thing where each person makes a difference. And I think that's, you know, my, maybe super optimistic, you know, I haven't explored other things with Mars and Aries yet, but it's like, you know, that's where I want to hold that notion in place of, you know, it's, it, we can do the right thing. Each of us can take that right action during this time. And that includes, you know, even voting, you know, that's the, the piece with Mars and Aries that I think has um, incredible potential right now. So. Um, are you familiar with who Mike Max is? I'm not. So Mike Max uh, is a sportscaster from the Twin Cities. And uh, he somehow ended up at the center of all the coverage for WCCO, which is one of, uh, hmm. I think it's, is it ABC or CBS? It doesn't really matter. CBS, um, I think. Yeah. But he was throughout the Twin Cities. He got tear gassed a bunch of times. He's in his, he's 60. Um, but he's got this really recognizable face um, and like didn't shrink back at any point from um, from covering uh, everything that was going on. Um, and I think that that's mm -hmm. a really, when I think of Mike Max, he has always been an outsider, even in the field. He does, he's the guy that, that used to do the radio show with really who was the Leo presence of sports casting in Minneapolis and it's, he's still mm -hmm. going, although he, he, Sid Hartman, um, mm -hmm. who's over a hundred years old and still uh, covering <laughs> sports in, in, in Minnesota. Wow. Uh, and he used to do this show <laughs> where it was him and like the three loudest, most obnoxious old school sports guys in the state. And Mike Max was like this outsider, just kind of herding cats during like this half hour show. That's always been who he was. And to think that he's the guy who is now out there um, covering it. I mean, he is, he's a full outsider and, and like seemed to fit right in. It was, he's mm -hmm. just this old white guy who like just, uh, he handled it all with like a wink and a nod. Even mm -hmm. when he, he got tear gassed at one point, which is not safe for someone with as many years as Mike Max has. During um, a pandemic. <laughs> right. And, it, and he wouldn't get off the air. He was coughing through. They're like, Mike, do, wow. Mike, do you need to take a, a break? And no, it's like, I'll do it. I got, I'll get this done. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, folks are interested. Uh, I don't know if everyone can get into the athletic, but John Krasinski, another uh, writer from Minneapolis did a whole, and nothing to do with sports, this whole long article on Mike Max covering uh, the civil unrest. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, Sean, <laughs> if there are there any other parables or specific stories that you'd like to get out? Otherwise, this has been a fantastic, fantastic time. Uh, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I don't think I can necessarily think of anything to add at this point other than another two hours of gabbing about these things, but that's not really the point here. <laughs> um, well, I think you were right. I think this was fated that we redid it. As wonderful as the first podcast was, uh, I don't know that it could have matched um, the vim and verb added to this one um, mm -hmm. by just events on the ground. Right. Um, before I sign us off, could you please tell folks how to find you? Uh, my, my website is imagineastrology.com and I am a tutor for the Mercury Internet School of Psychological Astrology, also known as MISPA. And so you can find things that I've done on there. And there is a talk I gave, I think in February on Saturn in Aquarius, which covers this um, kind of topic. And there's other pieces in there that I haven't brought up in the article or, or today with you. So that that's there. Um, but yeah, those are my two primary hangouts with astrology right now is MISPA and my website. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, it was so great, Sean, please everyone check that out. Uh, and if you haven't read the article in the mountain astrologer, please do. And remember, a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men.